Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another week, gratefully. My name's Mkwa Sonia, he's Brian Albert, and welcome to Award Tour, the podcast. Once again, a show that tackles both race and sports. Usually they intersect, insert, always intersect. And we talk about what the ramifications are of that as well. You can feel free to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever else you get your podcast. Please rate us, review us, give us five stars. I promise everything is worth it. And in today's episode, some sports are actually sort of on the way back. And of course, we have to talk about Tell Me Something I Don't Know, our weekly segment. And I think you'll enjoy what we have to offer. But first, I'm a little fatigued. I can't lie because I tried to move a couch earlier today and it didn't get through a door. What were you doing moving a couch for? Okay, so let's rephrase. So I had my eye on another couch or another piece of furniture that I wanted to put in the space. So I'm like, okay, well, in order for that to happen, let's try to move this one out. So I'm, I'm grateful for the space that I have. It's actually got two floors. It's not too bad, but it's got like a very narrow hallway to go out from one room to the next room to leaving the apartment. When I tell you that one of my neighbors came to help me, took the doors off. We took the door off the hinges and I have a bunch of shavings on the floor to show for it. So, okay, you answered my first question there because the first question was going to be, were you trying to do this alone? Because I, the number one I rule of... Started. I almost no, but I didn't. No, the, the number one rule of moving a couch is you never do it alone. But you're making me ask the question to you now. It got in the room somehow. Right. So, what... It was why aren't we getting it out of the room? I don't know because it was there when I moved it. <laughs> Did it get assembled inside the room? That that's that's I, the question. I don't think so because that couch seems like it's about my age. So you think it just came as is? Is yeah. it possible that the couch has grown? <laughs> Man, because I'm know. just the the math of it got into the room. Why would but it it's come not out? getting out of the room. I'm not sure. It's making me question your uh, your vision for angles. Well, I'll tell you what. I know it's not my strong suit. One of these days, <laughs> you can come and see it just so that I look a little bit crazy, a little less crazy than I feel right now. Because, wow. We really, and we struggled for an hour and change on that. Is the door back on the hinges? Yeah, we put uh, yeah we put everything back. Okay, well that's that's at least the most important part, because that's the part where I would be screwed. I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to get the door back on the hinges. <laughs> if I knock down the door, I'm I'm done. <laughs> like that's so weird because I can do the minute stuff. I can screw things in. I can assemble a whole bunch of other stuff, but the brute strength and angles. Uh, I've probably failed 15 different manhood tests. BuzzFeed is probably going to kill me, but it doesn't matter because here we are now. Well, no, I think you passed the manhood test because you just carried the couch out with such force and no care for what was in your way <laughs> that you knocked down a door in the process. Well, to be fair, we took the door off the hinges like midway through the process. Okay, so like the couch was literally stuck 
in the narrow tunnel between the rooms. Kid you not. And we took the door off in the interim. You look so confused. I'm just I'm, I'm just trying to picture what I would have felt if I saw the door come off the hinges. What would my range of emotions be? And I don't think I would have had the mental fortitude to be recording a podcast the same day. I think that that seems like the type of event that would just really break me. I don't blame you because the worst part about it is it's like when you go to the gym and you feel good in warmups and you drain your shots then the game starts, your mechanics feel good. Doink, doink, doink. Hit one. You're kind of in a you're kind of in a groove. Doink, doink, doink. Like I'm talking, we're right there. Like it feels like the door is about to get out. Rather, it feels like the couch is about to get out. And there was just no way. There was just no way. So what you're saying is moving the couch out of it was essentially your John Starks game seven. Ooh. Because there were a whole lot of doinks in that one. John Starks game seven. Well, I would have hit a couple more shots than, than John. We were a little bit closer, but okay. I love you. We were a little bit closer. We That's good. You were more like six for 20 instead of like two for 19 or whatever he went that, that game. That, gotcha. See, that makes sense to me because six that for 20 is the score we give for you guys moving the couch. Well, we got to start off with where we basically left off last week because when we were recording this time a week ago, It was last Wednesday, earlier that morning on a Yahoo Finance report, Drew Brees had made some comments that rubbed a whole lot of people the wrong way with saying uh, that he couldn't agree with anybody disrespecting the flag, which when asked a question about kneeling during the national anthem, if he thought that would happen again this year in the NFL in light of the George Floyd protests. My oh my how things have changed in a week. In fact, it only took 48 hours for things to change. Drew Brees Thursday morning released a Instagram apology. Then he released... Friday night after President Donald Trump uh, put his name into a tweet saying that Drew Brees should have stood strong and not reversed course, no kneeling for the national anthem. Drew Brees took to Instagram once again uh, to let President Donald Trump know that, you know what, kneeling is not at all about the flag or the military. It's about actual issues with racism in this country, uh, social injustice, as well as police brutality, which leaves me to ask you, have you ever seen somebody make a quicker 48-hour turnaround than we saw from Drew Brees? I do not think so. I do not think so. And what's so wild about it is that it almost would have meant more if it happened, I would say, three or four years ago, you know, because the message of the protest itself didn't change. Right. Like there was no growth of, oh, so the movement started as kneeling for police brutality, but now it's morphed into kneeling against racism and, and, and police brutality. Oh, like that moment wasn't there. So the thing that sort of boggles me is 
is this what it was going to take? Was it literally going to take your entire football team, or at least the impact players, and the public at large for you to really sort of see the light? I will say it is cool. Okay, I'll choose a different adjective. I do appreciate the fact that he responded directly to the current occupant in the White House. I feel like when a lot of other white players have been put in that situation, they haven't really addressed it directly. So I want to give him credit for that, however minute it may be. But goodness gracious, that it's so fast. But it also lends me to why it's still frustrating that we're having the same conversation because nothing changed. Literally nothing changed. It was the same protest, the same actors, the same people involved. And now it takes the whole world to sort of pressure you into doing this. I hope you truly believe it. I really do. Yeah, so the crazy part, and we'll get into sort of talking about the apology more and other uh, sort of transformations in the NFL of the past week in a second. But as you were going through the list and you were saying that nothing changed, you know, from four years ago when Colin Kaepernick started this protest, I was trying to think in my mind, you know, what might have actually changed. And what I came up with was, you know, Kaepernick's protest did not really start in immediate response to an individual incident of a police killing. You know, uh, I want to say the Philando Castile killing had happened maybe a couple weeks before, maybe even a few weeks before. So it was certainly a trend that we were seeing more and more uh, with injustice towards black people happening in large numbers in the police community. Um, But he never cited anything individual. So I was thinking, you know, maybe what was different this time is that Drew Brees saw the George Floyd video and that actually changed his perspective. But then it reminded me, no, it didn't. Because he was literally asked the question a week ago from today, last Wednesday, and George Floyd was already dead. We'd already all seen the video and that hadn't changed his mind that kneeling would be disrespectful to the flag. So I guess the part that's confusing to me is were none of his teammates having this conversation with him four years ago? Uh, were people afraid to have that conversation? Were the conversations not really happening during the Kaepernick protest? Or does Drew Brees, did he uh, just so happen to misremember that those conversations happened and now there was a certain level of strong force that came from his teammates and a level of public backlash that came towards him that didn't happen the first time that brought him around to these apologies i know i lean towards the second but as you said his apology was pretty strong and more so than his apology to actually publicly rebuke asterisk number 45 is something you know not many people like you said would be willing to stand up to the president of the united states when they have their name invoked uh so you know it it makes me wonder does this apology make a difference what does it take to accept an apology because if you look around the league the reaction was mixed 
you know, his teammates were quite public after his apology. Uh, Demario Davis, one of the Saints linebackers, said that for him to admit that he was wrong, I think that is leadership at its finest. Michael oh, Thomas, Lord. I don't have the tweet in front of me. He accepted the apology as well. But then you had other players from around the league uh, who weren't quite as forgiving. Joe Hayden uh, tweeted, Drew Brees backpedaling fat, uh, better than Deion Sanders. Shake my head. It was never about the flag or the military, but we all know that. Uh, Booger McFarland of ESPN, after the first apology came out, tweeted, I'm sorry for the way that America is crucifying me. I'm not sorry for what I said. Got it. So there's a lot of mixed reaction. And it makes me wonder, what does it take for us to an ex- to accept an apology? And do we have to accept the apology of somebody like Drew Brees in order to move forward? I'm glad you asked, because for me, I feel like we have reached a point in society where talk is cheap. Right now, it's the wave to actually mention police brutality. All it took was a riot up in Minneapolis. I shouldn't even call it a riot. All it took was a protest in Minneapolis and protests all across the country for every brand to coddle together some of the most milk toast statements of support. So for me, any public figure that is in this situation, I'm not moved. Show me what you do with it. I want to know what conversations you're having with your friends, your family. I want to know that you're not just going to toss out a donation and then just call the job done. No, like, what does this mean? What are you really going to do with it? And what are you going to do about it? And I'm not sure I'm looking for anyone to turn into the next Martin Luther King Jr. or any main activist, but just do the work. It's it's really that simple to me. Talk is cool. But is this energy going to be there week three? That's that's the question I have. Yeah, I think it's a tough thing with Drew Brees because he does have a body of work in his community charitably where I think we can believe that what he said was incredibly misguided. What he said was a clear example of ignorance at the very best it was willful ignorance right like you can't deny that after Kaepernick's protest four years ago when it was clearly explained to you what it was about for you then to four years later say what he said to Yahoo Finance about it being disrespectful to kneel before the flag in his view was a clear sign that he just hadn't listened so at the very best it was willful ignorance But he does have a body of work of charity. He did step up for the city of New Orleans when it was ravaged by COVID-19, donating, I want to say, $5 million. I mean, I know that it's easy to knock charitable donations of multi-multi-millionaires because they have a ton of money. It's not really anything to them. But at the end of the day, $5 million is $5 million. That's making a huge difference in people's lives, even if he doesn't have to really look those people in the face and know how he's helping them, even if it's the easy way to help make change. But I do think the public rebuking of Trump, that is putting in the work, in my opinion, to stand up because we see how Donald Trump operates. 
He likes to pick fights with people who he doesn't think will be able to fight back and get to make them look like cowards and make him look like the big, strong boss man. And in this case, Drew Brees replied, strongly condemned what Donald Trump essentially said and corrected what Donald Trump was saying. And in the process, guess who hasn't replied back? We already know. You ain't going to answer that. You don't even have to answer that. So uh, to me, that is making a difference. And to me, from my perspective, at least, I don't see how we move forward and how we fix these problems and how we change the views of the willfully ignorant. If when they come with an apology, we aren't willing to accept it and instead just continue with the cancel culture because there are going to be plenty of people who have just canceled Drew Brees and as soon as he said what he said Wednesday he was done to them and while it may not make a difference with a Drew Brees the point is in life for the people that we cancel if those are people who were looking for a bridge and we just close the bridge off off on them because of their past transgressions I don't know how we do anything but further push those people away, further isolate them, and give them reason to believe that their misguided views are actually right. See, but I don't think I'm looking for, like, it's like I said before, I don't need Drew Brees to all of a sudden turn into an activist. I do acknowledge the fact that he has made strides forward. And I do acknowledge the fact that he's done what, a lot of players to this day still are not doing. But I still think it behooves him, not just because of his platform, not just because of what he did, you know, that got us to this point, but because of his platform. I think there's just more that I want to see from him. I wouldn't cancel him at this point because I think that's a bit counterproductive. I agree with that. Because if I'm going to cancel you for that and you walked it back, Look, I, I, I really regard a lot of these figures with a, a measure of skepticism anyway. So for me, you might as well just keep doing the work. And I don't know wh- whether forgiveness and respect look the same. Some people would say they go hand in hand. But at least if you're going to do the work and you're going to, you know, make things better, I'm willing to respect that. Which brings us to another apology that came from the NFL, and that was Friday night as well, and it came from the lips of NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, who in an online apology admitted that they were wrong uh, for not listening to NFL players earlier, meaning the NFL the league and the owners, Uh, and he also said that the NFL will encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. Uh, Of course, absent from the apology from Commissioner Roger Goodell was any mention of the name Colin Kaepernick, of course, the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback who started this kneeling protest way back in 2016 and has not had a job in the NFL since 2017, despite the league still employing Blaine Gabbert uh, and Nathan Peterman and a lot of other really, really trash quarterbacks. So for the apology to not have Colin Kaepernick's name in it 
and for the apology to come from Roger Goodell instead of from the owners themselves, what does that say to you? Well, Roger's catching the wave. That's what it says to me. It doesn't really define any sort of movement that the NFL is going to take in one direction or another. By the way, to all the players who were involved in the video that went viral, which is why I think Roger Goodell even apologized in the first place. I don't remember all the names in that video, but Patrick Mahomes was there. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. was there. Michael Thomas. Who else was in there? Michael Thomas was definitely part of it. Um, I believe Carrion Johnson was in there. I believe it, it was a lot of players. A lot of high-profile players. A lot of players with a lot of name recognition in the league. And shout out to, I, I think his name is, is Brendan. They wrote a bunch of articles about him, but he was somebody who was working in the league office and pretty much went rogue to put this video together. He put a lot on the line to do the right thing. I salute you, sir. Thank you for making a move that... I don't think anybody else would have dared to make. But that's why we're that's why we are where we are now. You know, Roger Goodell has to take money from the very same people who really call the shots. And as annoyed as I am that he did that, he didn't really have a choice. So whatever, I guess. But now what are you going to do about it? And that's the question. We already have seen uh, some responses that the apology itself was not good enough. I believe Malcolm Jenkins came out today, said the NFL has to do a lot more than what we saw from the Goodell apology uh, for these wounds to be healed. Um, and I can't believe what I'm about to say. Oh, boy. But I kind of, a small, tiny corner of my heart oh, no, feels no, bad for Roger Goodell. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, 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 because no, no, no. You, Don't do that. You say Roger Goodell is coming around. I didn't say that. What? I said well, he was pushed. He ain't well, coming no, around. At, at the beginning, at the beginning of, of your thing, you said that Roger Goodell sort of, sort of getting in line, starting to come around a little bit. Right, but he's getting in line with the trend, not because of his personal convictions. Well, so that's where I'm not sure I'm willing to agree. I'm not sure that I believe that Roger Goodell's personal convictions had as much of a problem with what the protest was talking about originally. I get the sense that Roger Goodell was acting as the representative for 30 white owners who were ringing up his phone in telling him, we need to snuff this out right now. This is not happening in our league. That doesn't make him a good man. Because if you're signing up to take the checks and do that level of dirty work, you're selling your soul to the devil. But I definitely get the sense that right now, Roger Goodell is in an impossible situation. We heard that Roger Goodell was the one who wanted to set up the Kaepernick workout last year. Uh, we know that Roger Goodell had a big role in wanting to set up the Players Coalition, which ended up coming together to contribute to support some black issues 
in America. I'm not saying any of this is good enough. I'm not saying that any of this is even necessarily admirable. I do get a sense that Roger Goodell on his own, if he had the latitude to do more, would do more and would try and make things right by Kaepernick. So my question then, when it comes back to Kaepernick's official workout, is why there was such a difference between Kaepernick's tryout waiver and the standard NFL tryout waiver. Because when those differences were covered by anyone from NBC Sports to ESPN, like those differences are ridiculous. And you're the commissioner. You're telling me your own legal office drew this up and you just sort of rubber stamped it? Well, so what, like, like that's why it feels very much like lip service to me. So it can be lip service and not reflective of him personally at the same time, I guess. Like, in, in my opinion, because he, he's the commissioner of the league. He is literally lip service for the 30 owners. That's literally what they pay him to do. Um, so, you know, when you bring up the waiver, yeah, the waiver from all the reporting the language in that liability waiver was extremely intentionally vague so that potentially the league would not have to face any lawsuit from Colin Kaepernick ever again. Normally your liability waiver that you're signing is just a liability waiver that you won't sue in case of injury at this event that the NFL is putting on. The league put in a lot of language that, was vague enough where it could be interpreted that Kaepernick would be signing away his right to ever sue the league again for anything. And that's where the big discrepancy was. And that seemingly is what blew the whole thing up. But my guess is that's not so much Roger Goodell's doing once again is the 30 owners saying, hey, let's see what we can do here to make sure that we're not facing another collusion lawsuit in the future. That if we're going to extend an olive branch, that it's an olive branch for good. Again, I think I'm not saying that Roger Goodell is a hero or a patron saint in any way. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt in a way that I wouldn't give to the 30 league owners, not even for a second, because I think Roger Goodell's heart may be saying something, but the $40 million he gets paid a year are forcing him to do something else. Now, the easy answer would be he could go against his owners and see what they want to do about it. And if they fire him, at least you went down for a good cause. Uh, But a lot of people are going to do what the bosses say for $40 million. But before we leave the topic of Colin Kaepernick, what do you think comes out of this? What do you think is the future relationship for the NFL and Colin Kaepernick, and is there any way whatsoever that we see him in an NFL jersey again? So before I answer that question, I did want to respond and say that honestly at this point, as much as you're right, most people would just do what the bosses say, but if you're really about it, you kind of kind of put some skin in the game. Like if you're going to dare all 30 owners to fire you, go ahead. But then the NFL has never been the greatest at playing the PR game. And if they do play it, they don't quite play it right. So 
even if Goodell doesn't look like the hero per se, if Goodell stood up to them and said, no, this is going to happen, and all 30 owners voted him out, all of a sudden the narrative changes completely. So, yeah, I just wanted to address that by saying that's one thing that could that I think would really show me that that's you know where his heart is because I can deny his motives all I want but I'm not giving up 40 million dollars a year he is so I would be willing to see it a little bit on that as for whether we will see Colin Kaepernick in a uniform again my heart says yes my head says no because for all of the lip service that has been coming from these franchises, which have all had varying degrees of how well they've spoken to this entire situation. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. And the worst part about it is there are fits like the most intriguing fit to me would be if he went back home to Nevada and played for the Raiders. Like there are situations, there are pieces there are places where he would be able to contribute to a franchise. And shout out to Michael Hurley. I believe he works for, for Boston. He works in the Boston area. There was an article he put out that compared Colin Kaepernick's 2016-2017 stats with every other quarterback or at least some of the bigger named quarterbacks that people said he wasn't good enough to play against. Like those numbers totally broke it down for me and it was awesome that he did that. Yeah, I think Colin Kaepernick's skill shouldn't have been in doubt. And anybody who really got suckered into believing that he wasn't worthy of a job and that's why he was being held out of the league, like that argument was tired four years ago. Um, but I feel like to see Colin Kaepernick in the league again, it's going to take a little give on two sides. I think the one side where the NFL will have to give, there's no way Colin Kaepernick is suiting up of his own volition without the league saying they treated him wrong. Mm. I don't think the league wants to say that they treated him wrong because they don't want to put themselves in a position where they would be compromised in a collusion suit. Is it possible that those two sides can get into a room together and the owners say, we will stand next to you and we will issue a public apology, but you need to waive your right to sue us. There will be no money exchanged on behalf of us admitting our mistake. We'll just admit a mistake. And I have a hard time believing based on ego that that's something we'll see the owners willing to offer. I just don't see a way in which the owners will be willing to take that loss in the public spectacle. Cause I don't think, I think Colin Kaepernick would let it go away without a dime having to come to him. Maybe he would demand some money, go to charity or something like that. But I think he would let it go just to be able to take the badge, the trophy of, I was right. You guys colluded against me. 
admit it to the people. I think that's too big a bruise on the ego of these 30 owners that we're going to see them be able to come to the table and make it happen. And to even piggyback off of that, it's so weird how the conversation around Kaepernick sort of shifted after he signed the deal with Nike and then he took the settlement. I feel like we forget that these people, like this was his job. This was his dream. Like this, he gave up what he worked for at least five years for. And that's only if you look at college. If you incorporate all of high school, maybe a little peewee, you're looking at nearly a decade's worth of work to get to the league, to go to the Super Bowl, and to give it all up. And I think the reason why I so hope, like even though, like you said, the ego of the owners won't let that happen, the reason why I'm rooting for that so hard is because like that guy, that dude to me deserves it. And it's not even about whether or not he returns to play and, oh, well, does it look bad that he signed back with the league? But like, no, like those optics don't matter. He did his part. He more than did his part. And if the NFL wants to do right by him, they they definitely should. And people should leave him alone about it. At the very least, it certainly feels like the tide has turned and Colin Kaepernick has won in the court of public opinion. I think it was a lot closer four years ago than it is now. Uh, but it certainly seems like he started a movement that has led to a tide turning. And we are now in a place where he will go down as a hero. And if he ever steps foot in the league again, his jersey will be an item that a lot of people want. And that a lot of people who don't care about football will buy because it will stand for something that 25 touchdowns and 10 interceptions can never stand for. Oh yes, it's that time of the show where we learn a little bit something more about each other. Now, if you are a big fan of album art, I mean, I've gotten a bunch of compliments already about how good it is. Um, the artist who did it, his Twitter handle is in the description. You should go check him out. He is very, very good. But anyway, it is time for Tell Me Something I Don't Know. The reason I brought up the album art in the first place is because you see jerseys, see preferred numbers. As you can tell, this is something that we're very much into. However, there's a reason why neither of us have signed professional athletic contracts. They are definitely in the colors of our alma mater, the George Washington University. But unfortunately, we never suited up officially to play even a second. So it's very fitting that the question for today's topic, which I will ask you, Brian, when was the moment that you realized that high school was it? Such a crushing moment for all of us. Um, so when I was 13, I was playing for CT Future Stars, a AAU program in the nutmeg state of Connecticut. 
And around that time, I want to say I stood five, nine and three quarters, which just so happens to be what I stand now. Oh, snap. So, you know, it was becoming pretty clear that those projections from the orthodontist that I might grow to be 6'1 were fake news. <laughs> so that was already sort of step one in the process of, okay, I might not have that great of an opportunity here. Uh, so I was really trying to see what I could do on the AAU stage, see if maybe if I stacked up against some of the kids now, it would give me an idea of how hard I'd have to work maybe to make it to a low college school and be able to continue my career at that level. And so it is the first tournament I actually played in. It was the state tournament. We had a couple scrimmages beforehand. You know, I'm coming off the bench. I'm finding my role as a shooter, you know, a a perimeter defender. I'm figuring out how to do things. And our first game in the tournament We are playing against, I want to say it was the CT Knights from Central Connecticut. And one of the kids on the team was one of the Golic children. Well, oh boy. One of the Golic children had a teammate. And this teammate was huge. Uh, He was, we're, we're talking about 13 year olds, remember. And this kid was already 6'2 probably 175 pounds of pure muscle just like the most chiseled 13 year old I think I've ever seen in my entire life and it's the first game of the tournament and one of my teammates throws a garbage cross court pass it gets stolen by this kid and he's running a three on one break back the other way oh no and I am the one Oh, no. And from about half court, I'm, I've am i already backpedaled to about the three-point line. He's at half court. The spacing is pretty good. Like, they have an easy three-on-one. This is, he can just dribble all the way to the elbow. At some point, I'll have to commit. He can just drop off a bounce pass. They're going to have a layup. As he gets to half court, his motor is like, he's starting to ramp up to full speed. And I just make eye contact with him. And it is that second where I see in his eyes, he's not giving this ball up. There is not a single part of him that is giving up this ball. He is sizing me up like I'm one of Alex Jones's neighbors, and he's about to eat my ass. And at the time, you know, I'm five, nine, three quarters. No way I'm more than 140 pounds. I'm only 13. I haven't really hit the gym yet. And this whole time I'm just standing there and I'm thinking to myself, like I've seen this kid dunk in pregame warmups. He can put me on a poster potentially. Do you really want to stand in and take this charge? (laughs) Or are you just going to give him the layup? And so Like, it's so clear he's not giving the ball up. He's running just in a straight line to the rim. He's getting in that crouch. You know that crouch when somebody's getting ready to, like, take those two, three real explosive steps and then go up to dunk? Absolutely. 
And so my, I have two missions here. I'm going to take the charge. I've committed to taking the charge and I'm not going to let him dunk on me. So I need to make sure that I step up into it. So I am high enough up the court where there's no chance he's getting to the rim. Okay. I time it out. Well, taking charges was always a specialty. It's in the white boy jeans. (laughs) And I meet him maybe like one step underneath the elbow and he comes up into me. His knee comes straight into my thigh, like right at the intersection of your thigh and your hip. And he just like picks me up with him. Like I'm now just hanging on his knee and we crash down to the floor and his knee just drives so deep into my thigh as we hit the ground because my thigh gets stopped by the ground and his knee just keeps going down. And it was the most absurd. Oh, no. It wasn't even a dead leg. It was like I felt this jolt of electricity go through my entire leg. I couldn't put weight on it for about the next hour. Oh, no. Got the charge, by the way. Went the other way. <laughs> Got the charge. But then we had three. We ended up losing this game by two points. And when it was a double elimination tournament. So once you lose that first game, you go into the loser's bracket. And we now have like three more games Mm -hmm. the rest of that day. So I'm like figuring out how on earth I can get through these games. I'm just dragging a leg. It gets to the point where in the fourth game, I can't move sideways. I can only move forward or backward. And so whenever somebody tried to go by me, I just would clothesline them. So they would hopefully not want to try that again. Because that was my only chance of guarding anybody. Oh, no. Oh, no. It was probably 1030 that night when my dad, one of my teammates, and I strolled into the parking lot of a Bennigan's. And my middle-aged father looks like he's in the best shape of all of us, including two 13-year-old kids who are athletes. Oh, my gosh. It was probably the moment where I realized my athletic career is not going past high school. Man, man, oh man. So, did you ever find out who that kid was? I I do not know who that kid is to this day, but I would know it if I saw his eyes. (laughs) I would look him. There's something about when, you know it, when you see somebody in the heat of competition and they look at you and you realize they're sizing you up and they are just, they don't care that you're there. They don't care that they have an easy three on one. Like they're trying to embarrass you. Yes. I saw that look in his eyes and it was like, you have, you have two seconds to make a decision. Am I standing in here and taking this thing? And if I am, how am I going to make sure that he does not dunk on me? Mm. And in the process, I lost the leg. Well, I'm sorry about the leg, but mission accomplished (laughs) at least on the charge. The old me would have stepped away. If I, the (laughs) the 29 year old me would say, get out of the damn way. It's two points. (laughs) Like, you can have it. It's not that serious. Keep your leg. You would have made every high school coach proud. I would have been very worried about you if I was in the coach's spot. But anyway, so to answer said question, I I was bordering on a little bit of naivete slash delusion because I actually tried out for the Division I baseball team. As you can tell, 
I wasn't good enough and I didn't make it and that's okay. But I think the moment where it finally just sort of hit me was actually my senior year of high school. So by then I know I'm going to be a senior. I really want to have a good year. I really wanted to play. There was a time after practice where we were just messing around like, hey, go ahead, get on the mound, see what happens. Like, okay. To this day, I do not remember what happened. But I get in a windup and I start chucking. And there's strikes and there's a little heat on it. Kept going. I went maybe... maybe 15 straight pitches, just some of the most beautiful baseball I'd ever pitched in my life. There were no batters, obviously, but at least it was fun. It's like, okay, I could throw strikes. This is cool. Maybe there's something left. When I tell you for the rest of the season, I did not throw a single strike. I mean, we had an away game where I was brought in and I coaxed a double play because I tried to throw a splitter. It was like literally in the dirt and the kid just happened to swing at it. And I just remember that day because I could not control where the ball was going. And after that, my only other start in high school, it was against the number one team in the league. Uh Oh, I was getting ready to start. Brian, I didn't make it out of the first inning. It always starts with the number one team in the league. And the worst part about it is that I didn't even get shelled. I had like five walks that inning. (sighs) A dribbler for a base hit. When it was all told, I already had a mound visit. Then he had to come take the ball away from me. I could not look anybody in the eye. I was crushed. I was crushed. That poor ERA. (laughs) And that was the moment where even though I was going to try really hard, I was like, you know what? This probably ain't it. Oh, you know, I was, I was like getting ready to like laugh at some moment of levity. (laughs) And there's just something about four balls and a free base that just eats your soul to a level where it's like, I don't, I, I can't even giggle. I just feel, I feel pain for you. <laughs> Cause like it's, there's something funny about like, Oh, I had a nice, Hey, I had a nice bullpen session. Like, I think I might be able to do this. And then you step up to face the number one team in the state or whatever. And like, they just crank out back to back to back jacks on the like first three pitches. That's like a, that's like, that's got some funny to it. Walks just hurt. (laughs) They just hurt, man. I I don't know what to say, but sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry it had to end like that. And the worst part about it is they weren't even close. Like, I was wound up. I had my pregame playlist. I I thought I was ready because we weren't that in the league. We weren't that bad either. Like, we were like the number number three in the league at that time. Dude. I threw, I think, the first pitch for a strike. And then it's like, I couldn't get it over home plate. And when I got it over home plate, it was either really high or really inside. Like, I'm 
Oh, man. But the reason I can laugh at it now is because I still have my jersey. I don't care. <laughs> when you get the jersey, when you get the varsity letter, it's you get to make up something. how it went. Down the road, you get to tell everybody uh, there were a couple backwards K's in there, too. Just, you know, just a few too many walks. <laughs> the backwards K's were in a totally different start. But, it, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be honest about my my athletic failures. Like, it's it's whatever. Oh, man. Well, you are. I could never pitch. There was no chance. There was no chance. I still miss that. What, that what I, were you clocking on the radar gun, though? That's what we all wanted to the know. The thing is, I was never clocked formally. So in my head, I felt like I could top out at 75, but it could have been a pretty solid 60. I don't know. But the reason why... That's I how was, I feel on the highway. <laughs> because I was so delusional. Part of the reason why I was so delusional is because I used to watch a lot of college baseball. There was a dude named Bradley Cooper that was pitching for the South Carolina Gamecocks back when they Not had that like, Bradley Cooper, folks. Right. We're talking on that team that had Whit Merrifield, Jackie Bradley Jr., both major leaguers right now. And I would watch him. Like, he didn't look like all that remarkable physically. And he's in the College World Series throwing 75. Pitching shutouts. I'm like, what? Okay. Maybe you got a shot. But again, I was not Bradley Cooper. Either of them. Well, folks, on this edition of Tell Me Something I Don't Know, what you learned is my prime was scrawny and average height, and Unqua's prime was a bullpen session with 15 straight strikes. Hey, man. We all have a we all have a good day. Well, folks, enough about us and more about the individual actors of the week who made our lives maybe humorous, maybe made us angry, maybe gave us a little bit of joy. That's right. Our namesake. It's time for the award tour. We have two awards going out to individuals for whatever reason we decide we want to give them out to. And in case you are just joining us for the first time, this is a segment that we do because of our time at George Washington University as members of WRGW. We used to have the paper plate awards at the end of each year in which everybody on the staff got an award for something they did at some point in time over the semester. Those traditions are always fun. Now we get to put them on audio paper. And now we are giving awards to people who are not just inside a tiny little niche bubble, such as WRGW, <laughs> and we expand it out to the rest of the world. And I'll lead off for you, Uncle, here, uh, because you sent me something this morning, which was uh, essentially a tweet that was showing a bit of disdain for the public statement that the New York Knicks finally released regarding racism in light of the George Floyd incident. 28 of the 30 NBA teams had released statements by last Wednesday, I want to believe. Knicks didn't even come around until two days ago. It was a short little paragraph. It was bland. It didn't 
really say all that much. And so I give you that lead up because I have something to say for all of the people out there who expected better from the New York Knicks. You remember our 43rd president of the United States, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, George W. Bush, he had this saying that came from Texas, maybe Tennessee, that he wants to share with you. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. You can't get fooled again, Knicks fans. The George Bush Award for a saying that may or not be, may or may not be used in Tennessee goes to New York Knicks fans and fans of the NBA in general who expected anything better from an organization run by James Dolan than some crappy statement against racism after being public pressured to release one for a week. I mean, guys, what did you expect? He kicked out Charles Oakley. True. True. He kicks out anybody who yells sell the team Mm -hmm. at him. You think he cares about any of this? You think he doesn't like sitting on his piles of money that his father made for him? I mean, the, the tweet you sent me was things the Knicks have taken a stronger stance against than racism. Charles Oakley, Spike Lee winning games, signing non-forwards in free agency, <laughs> Richard Jefferson, David Fisdale, Steve Stout's first TV interview as their brand manager. The list could go on for things that didn't just happen in the last three years um, to talk about the things that James Dolan's done wrong, but all I can say is Knicks fans, NBA fans, if you actually thought you were going to get a good statement coming out against racism and police brutality from James Dolan, all I can say to you is there's this saying. I think it's from Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, but it may be Tennessee. Fool me once. Shame on me. <laughs> Fool me twice. You, you, you don't get fooled again. You got fooled again, and you get an award for that. Oh, the impression was on brand and everything. So my first award of the week goes to a school whose fight song I actually thought was really, really cool. And you know how it is. I mean, we've discussed compensation for college athletes and all that sort of stuff. But everybody remembers their first experience with an NCAA football game. And in mine, I, for some reason, decided to be a recruit that played running back at UCLA. And of course, the biggest game of the year was when we played against USC. And who was the toughest guy ever to stop in NCAA football history? Halfback number five, also known in real life as Reggie Bush. Now, the news has come out over the last couple days that USC is ending its quote-unquote disassociation with Reggie Bush due to 
the NCAA sanctions and, and things of that nature. Mind you, this is the same USC that benefited from Reggie Bush's contributions on the field. The same USC that became a household name because of Reggie Bush. The same USC that got two national titles because of Reggie Bush. Vacated or not, they are still there. And in a PR boost from a very lackluster USC program all around, like I can't even think of one of their standout sports now, they have now decided to bring some goodwill back, despite the fact that somehow Clay Helton still has a job. Note that I barely follow college football, but I follow it enough to know that if USC doesn't have a good year, usually that hot seat is scorching. But we can't give USC just any old award. We might as well go back to an all time American favorite, the Simpsons. Because the lovable father that is Homer Simpson has played many different roles during the 30 odd seasons that the show has been around. And one of those roles was a football coach. And there was an episode where he cut everybody else except Bart, who was bad. It's a bad show of judgment as a coach and as an administrator. So the Homer Simpson Year Cut Award goes to the University of Southern California. Shame on you. Never in a good spot when you're being uh, put in Homer Simpson's namesake. I'm telling you. Not fun to be the butt of the joke. All right. Take, well, take us home, man. I know you got another one in there. I do have another one in there, uh, and it's inspired by all the things that we have been talking about over these past couple weeks with the protests, with what is seemingly a common knowledge that this country has a long way to go to correct some of the systemic racism that we've seen in this country and to get white people of the mindset that it's not just okay to be non-racist. You have to be anti-racist to help fix the problems. The message doesn't seem to be getting to everyone, though, that we have such a big problem. Uh, and I'm sure everyone has seen the good old meme on Twitter that goes around quite often, uh, the everything is fine <laughs> meme of the dog sitting in the kitchen while the whole thing burns down around him and says everything is fine. Well, I heard this from Larry Kudlow, White House economic advisor, earlier today, and it reminded me of that meme. Most of my adult professional life, I not only have fought for equal rights, including civil rights, uh, but I don't believe nowadays we have systemic racism. We do have some bad apples in the police department, and that can't be changed. Okay. According to Larry Kudlow, we do not have systemic racism nowadays in America, which means that Larry Kudlow is the winner of the Everything is Fine <laughs> meme award of the week. Oh. I don't know what burning house he's sitting in. 
to think that everything is fine and that there is no systemic racism. Because I think it's pretty clear if you look at, oh, just about any economic number done based on race in this country, which he should be familiar with considering he is a top White House economic advisor. But wait, does that mean he's actually qualified? Well, I mean, he came from CNBC, so no. <laughs> uh, yes. The, unfortunately, he's more qualified than a lot of other people sitting in the house these days. We'll try to be friendly and keep it there, but I'm so glad you went with that. And for the record, we don't coordinate these awards because we're both independent people. Some days we double up. Thankfully, today's not that day, but this segues perfectly into my second award. If you've been around the socials, you've noticed that, of course, because of all the protesting and the things that are happening, that there are a lot of sweeping changes that are being made, particularly in Minneapolis, with uh, their plight and rather their, their mission to defund the police department up there. But in the quote-unquote liberal paradise that is New York City, it didn't quite feel the same way. Everybody's trying to shame us. The legislators, the press, everybody's trying to shame us into being embarrassed about our profession. Well, you know what? This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so do theirs. So do theirs. Stop treating us like animals and bugs and start treating us with some respect. That's what we're here today to say. We've been left out of the conversation. We've been vilified. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Now, Brian, as you know, I'm a big fan of music. It, it, it's it's one of my, my greatest passions. And my favorite artist, I would argue, of all time, of all time, unparalleled in everything, is the one and only Stevie Wonder. It's a good pick. Between the collaborations, between his writing style, the fact that the man himself is just a one man everything like he is unparalleled but while everybody likes to profile you know all the love songs isn't she lovely you are the sunshine of my life that girl etc 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 there's one song that i recently picked up from him just a couple years ago that was specifically targeted toward the nixon administration at the time and the chorus goes, we are sick and tired of hearing your song telling us that you are going to change right from wrong. Well, if you really want to hear our views, you haven't done nothing. And so to the NYPD and every other person who stood up there and wanted to claim respect for the badge that we now nationwide, you've rendered as valuable as used aluminum foil, you get the Stevie Wonder, you haven't done nothing award. So I heard your setup there, and I got a little concerned that you were going to be giving out the Stevie Wonder, you are blind Yikes. award. Oh, he's slander proof. We don't do that here. This is, no, absolutely not. I'm, I'm glad that's not where you went, and you instead referenced some lyrics from one of his better songs. So, yeah, I, uh, 
the funny thing about that press conference, Omera, he's is he the NYPD police chief? I feel like I saw it was chief or something, maybe of like a pers- a precinct or whatever yeah, it is. Right. But like I, I, when I saw the press conference and I heard everything he had to say, it was like, well, one, you feel like you're being vilified. What what? How do you how do you think the people protesting feel? There's a reason why they're they're protesting. It might have to do with the fact that they've been feeling vilified. So there there was a crazy tone deafness to it, uh, for one. But if you used your eyes and saw the uh, collage of officers standing behind him as he lashed out at the media and the politicians and the public the collage did not seem to be representative of the police department demographics when it comes to color. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of non-white officers in the NYPD. There were not a lot of non-white officers standing behind him when I was watching that video. So it seemed like it was a very specific group of officers who feel like they're being vilified. I mean, we are not going to touch last week because last week was so deep. (laughs) And I really hope we don't have to do that one too much more often. But yeah, seriously, get a grip, loser. It's a good name for him. And I say it with my chest, full chest. Loser O'Mara. It's got a nice, nice little flow. Ooh. Is that is that gonna be the name? I'm not gonna name the episode that. Not at all. We will figure we will figure <laughs> out what that name is. You'll you'll see it once you click play. But nevertheless, I think we're done for the day, right? I think that's about right. What are we looking forward to in the uh, next seven the days? Next seven days. Well, what should we be excited well, about? Summer's actually coming up. The I'll tell you what to be excited uh, about. Was. PGA Tour golf Get tomorrow, Unqua. I've been waiting, been waiting for months. Tell me something I don't know next week. I'll ask Unqua, what's your beef with golf? And there we go. Trust me, I have stories. I cannot stand golf. Save it. I cannot stand golf. Nevertheless, you. That's what we call a tease. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, We are very, very familiar with that. Um, Double entendre intended. You can follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever else you get your podcasts. Feel free to follow us on the socials. I'm underscore I am NKWA on Twitter and on Instagram. You just stuck in a double entendre intended and went straight into the promotion. Please tell the people where to find And I, I just needed to let that hang in the air a little bit longer. You can't just slip that in like that. You can find me at Brian Albin Life. That is Brian with a Y. A-L-B-I-N Life. And maybe by next week, I'll finally change my Twitter name to something that is less embarrassing to say out loud. <laughs> hey, man. We, we all got to do it sometime. 
remember, at least you didn't change after the first episode. At least you had some time to give people a chance to get familiar. I went straight from first initial last name, like, hmm, you know what? Whatever, let's do a whole read whatever you want to call them. Like, you know what? Let's just change. It's time. So at, so at least you'll get a chance to have a clean slate and everything. So it'll be fine. I mean, you could have just changed it to I am legend and it would have been synonymous. Ooh. Would have been the same thing. Being all nice and whatnot. I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for rocking with us. I might as well let Brian do the benediction. I do it all the time. Just remember, folks, he intended that double entendre. See you next week. <laughs>